I have a question for you this morning. What do you think is the average life expectancy in America today? I know the answer. I looked this up. It is a little more than 78 years. Average life expectancy. Now, if you compare your life to a football game, here's what it means. If you're 19 or younger this morning, you're in the first quarter of your life. First quarter of the game. If you're between 20 and 39, what quarter are you in? You're in the second quarter. It's good news you're still in the first half, right? Now, if you're um, between the ages of 40 and 59, you're in the third quarter. And so, some of, You don't have to raise your hand. I know that some of you are in that quarter of life. Um, some of you, between the ages of 60 and 78, you're in what quarter? You're in the fourth quarter. There you go. And proud of it. And if you're 78 or older, you, my friend, are in overtime. Exactly. Exactly. Now, here's why I bring this up. Today, we are concluding the series of messages about developing a Christian worldview. And we said before, your worldview is a set of beliefs that you base your life on. And we've looked at some really important questions. And the concluding question this morning, it's right there on your outline, is this. How should I live in this world? Church, I want us to take a step back this morning and do some serious reflection on how we're investing our one and only life. One of my favorite movies is Braveheart. How many of you have seen Braveheart? Um, I've seen it a number of times. Um, it's a historical piece. It's about William Wallace, um, played by Mel Gibson, and he's fighting for the freedom of his Scottish countrymen. And toward the end of the movie, he's captured, but he won't renounce the set of beliefs that he's built his life on. And so the woman who's going to be queen comes to him and begs him to change his mind because if he doesn't, if he doesn't plead for mercy from the king, she says, you are going to die an awful death. To which William Wallace replies, every man dies. Not every man really lives. Think about your life today. What does it look like to really live? Because if you have a Christian worldview, it means you believe that you are made in the image of God. It means you believe that God put you here to really live, to have a life of purpose and meaning and joy and adventure. And when we look at this question, well, you know, how am I supposed to live in this world? How am I supposed to really live? The answer that God gives us is very straightforward and is found in his word. If you want to really live, live the way Jesus did. In fact, that's our, our verse of the week from the book of 1 John, and it says this, anyone who claims to be a Christian should live as Christ did. Now, we know the Bible tells us that Jesus came to our world and he came to die so that our relationship with God could be restored. We know that. But Jesus came to do more than die. He came to live. And he came to show us how to really live in this terribly broken world. And let me say this, regardless of where you are spiritually this morning, you know, if you're a Christian or somebody who's checking out Christianity or you're feeling like you're kind of far from God, wherever you are, I believe this about every human being, that deep in our heart, we want a better life. Isn't that true? I mean, we all want to know that our life matters, that, that there's a purpose to our life. We all want to have relationships where we can have some joy and we can love people and there can be some peace. And church, this is what I believe based on what God says in my own experience. There's only way to have that kind of life. And it's through a relationship with Jesus. But here's the thing. You know, when you become a Christian, it's because you've accepted Jesus 
as a savior. You know that he died for you and, and he rose from the dead and he's given you a new life. And you understand that when he says, follow me, that you're supposed to let him call the shots in your life. It's like you have a sign around your neck that says, under new management, right? Because you're following Jesus. But here's something really, really important. If you want to learn how to live, really live in this world, you have to embrace Jesus as your teacher. Because he knows how to live, and he wants to teach you how to live. And so this morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the life of Jesus and see that he lived in three directions. And if we want to really live, if we want to invest this one and only life and experience the kind of life that God wants us to have, we have to live in these same three directions too. So first of all, Jesus lived up. He lived up. That is, he lived in close connection with his Father in heaven. Check out this verse. It's from Mark chapter 1. It says, Very early in the morning... While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And I'm going to come down here so I can read the rest of this. It says this, Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Hey, Jesus, everybody is looking for you. What are you doing? What was Jesus doing? He was praying. Now, do you think that Jesus ever experienced the pressure of too much to do and not enough time to do it? Yeah, because everybody wanted to see Jesus. But here's the thing. He never allowed the, the pressures or the problems or the people to crowd out his time with his Father in prayer. For Jesus, you know, prayer wasn't a last resort. It was a first priority. And it fostered a close connection with his Father in heaven. I was reading a story this week about a pastor's wife. Her name is Susanna Wesley, and she was married to a famous pastor, Charles Wesley, and this couple took very serious, seriously God's command to be fruitful and multiply. They had 18 kids. Now, moms, that may be kind of hard to wrap your mind around, but can you imagine having 18 kids and you're trying to pray? How in the world do you do that? Well, Susanna Wesley came up with a plan. She would do this. She would take her apron and throw it over her head. And when the apron was over her head, it was assigned to the kids, don't mess with mom, I'm praying to God. Now, think about this. Think about how hard it is to find that time to just be alone with God. This week I was working on the message and, and I stopped and I'm, I'm praying and you know, just asking God to give me some direction and you know, what do you want me to share? And, and so I've got my cell phone on my desk and it just keeps beeping. It keeps dinging. I keep getting phone calls and I'm thinking, man, this is, this is hard. It's hard to get disconnected. It's hard to be still and really be with God. But if we're going to live the life that Jesus calls us to live, we've got to find a way to do that. And I want you to think about this. How many of you would like to have more joy in your life? How about more peace, more wisdom? Who is the source of all these things? It's God, isn't it? So if we're connected with God, we're going to experience those things. If we're disconnected from God, if our connection is weak, then we're going to always struggle with anxiety and confusion and exhaustion. And that's not the kind of life that God wants us to live. Now here's something else about Jesus and his connection with his Father. It comes from this verse in Luke. It says, He went to Nazareth, talking about Jesus, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue. And notice the next phrase, as was his what? His custom. This was his habit. His mom and dad took him to church, you might say. See, Jesus had this private worship life, and he had a public worship life. So what does that mean for us? We should do that too. It means that the church is really, really important. And listen, every week that I see you here, I'm so glad that you made the choice to be here because I know this. This is an opportunity for you to strengthen your relationship with your Father, to grow stronger spiritually. 
One Sunday, I was in church, and a friend had been to a Christian concert, Chris Tomlin concert, and they brought me a T-shirt. And the T-shirt said, I was made to worship. And that's true. We were made to worship God. And when we do that with each other, there is a spiritual strength that we experience. And some of you have experienced that this morning because we were made to be connected in this upward direction to God. Now, here's something that's really, really important. What makes it possible to have this connection with God? And the answer is this, Jesus. Jesus makes it possible for our relationship with God to be restored. We just sang a song a few minutes ago about Jesus. It's actually a quotation from John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, and you know this, the way, the truth, and the life. And this is really what the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is all about. It's kind of the Reader's Digest version. Because think about it. Jesus says, I am the way. Well, why do we need to know the way? Because we're lost. The Bible says we're like lost sheep. We've wandered away from God, and, and because we've disobeyed God, we're separated from him. And because God's just, he has to punish our sin, and that, that punishment is it continues separated forever. But because we can't save ourselves, what did Jesus do? He came to our world to show us the way back home to God. So he's the way, but he's also what? What's the next thing? The way, the, the truth. He tells us the truth about ourselves. Hey, you've got a problem with your heart. And so you need to do something about that. And the truth is that I came to this world so that you could be reconciled to the Father. And so I have lived a perfect life. And I have gone to a cross and I have died so that my Father could put your sins on my back so that I could die in your place. And you need to know that truth. And then what happens three days later? Jesus comes back to life so that he can give us a new life, so that he can show us how to truly live in this world. So look at this statement on your outline. It says this, we need to live up through a commitment to Christ that enables us to have a close relationship with God. Now let me ask you this. If you look at your outline on a scale of 1 to 10, how are you doing in terms of that upward connection with God? You know, 10 means it's really, really strong. 1 means it's really, really weak. So think about that. How are you doing? What's the strength of your connection with God today? And we're going to talk about how to move that num number up in just a few minutes. First of all, Jesus lived in. Here's the second direction in which Jesus lived. I mean, he lived up. The second direction is that he lived in. He lived in close connection with his disciples. And check out this verse from Mark chapter 3. It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, designating them apostles. And notice this next phrase, that they might be with him that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Now, can you imagine what it would have been like to be with Jesus for three years? I mean, that would have been the most incredible adventure. They got to see Jesus do all these miracles to you know, open the eyes of the blind. They saw Jesus walk on water. They saw Jesus raise his friend Lazarus from the dead. Um, this was an incredible adventure, but it also had some risk, didn't it? Think about what it was like for the disciples when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Eden, when the soldiers come with the lamps and the swords. But here's what happened. Because of the time they spent together, these disciples were more than just a group of followers of Jesus. They became a band of brothers and sisters because women followed Jesus too. They lived a life of risk and adventure because they were on a mission. And listen, that's the kind of life that God wants us to live as well. And church, this is really important. I, I hope you really understand this. 
You cannot accomplish God's purpose for your life alone. You need other people in God's family because when you become a Christian, you're adopted into a family. And God has a mission that he wants us to carry out. And this mission is not necessarily a safe one or a comfortable one. It's going to have hardships and obstacles, but as we share the adventure together, we forge strong friendships. And you know, we've experienced this in other dimensions of life. You know, those of you in the business world, you know, maybe you've had this experience. You had this, this really big goal in your company, and it took a lot of resources, and there was a team that got to work on it together, and it was hard. There was a deadline. You had to work late hours, but you reached the goal, and you had this, oh, man, we did it. And you, and you feel this strong connection with the people on the team. Have you ever been through a situation like that? Or how about this? How many of you ever played on a competitive sports team? Okay, uh, quite a few. I, I was with um, my son and some of his high school uh, football buddies from like, you know, 10 years ago, and that's what they were talking about, the good old days, you know, when it was tough and we had to do two-a-days, and if you've played on a sports team, you know the, um, the intro to the wide world of sports, the thrill of vict victory and the agony of defeat, and those things, those thrills and those, those agonies, they, they just forge you together, right? Or how about this? Um, I was walking through the, uh, the lobby um, this morning, and I saw the, the picture of our VBS team. You know, all the volunteers that helped with the kids a few weeks ago. And I thought, you know, when you serve on a ministry team, it brings you together. Um, some of you have been on some of our mission trips. Y you've been to these places that involve some real risk and real adventure. And you come home and you have, like, really good new friends because you experience this together. When I was a firefighter, I, I had the opportunity to work with guys, and, and I trusted them with my life. And they trusted me. And when that 911 call came in, we knew we were going to, have an adventure. We were going to take some risk. And that forged these incredibly strong friendships. And I was thinking this week that so often when we see an action adventure movie, that's the theme behind the movie. People that are, you know, going through these shared experiences and they form these friendships. You know, for example, does anybody know the name of this film? Yeah, Saving Private Ryan. And they're on this mission and it's dangerous. And at the end of the mission, they form some deep friendships. That happens along the way. Or what about this one? What is this movie? Gladiator, yeah. And these guys are in the arena together. They, they share the, the risk and the adventure, and that fosters these close friendships. Or what about this, if you're a, a fan of the, the trilogy? Lord of the Rings, the same idea. Now, here's the thing. This is what happened in the early church. The Christians in the first century faced all kinds of persecution. They were following Jesus, and it cost them something but they shared their lives with each other. They were connected up to their father and connected in through each other. And here's what happened. You read this in Acts chapter 2. It says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, those who were being rescued. There's a beautiful example of this in our lifetime, and it has to do with a communist leader, Mao Zedong. Does anybody remember that name? He tried to obliterate Christianity in China. And he confiscated church property. He... Um, wouldn't let Christians gather for public worship. He tortured and imprisoned and killed church leaders and pastors. And people thought the church in China is done. Now, at the time that he came to power, there were about 2 million Christians in the whole nation of China. At the end of the 1970s, when the bamboo curtain fell, people had a chance to go back into China, and they thought the church is going to be decimated, it's going to be destroyed. They were shocked to discover that those two million Christians now were 60 million Christians. Now, how did that happen? 
Because these Christians knew how to really live. They were connected to God, their Father, and they were connected to each other, and they were on mission together, and they were making a difference in their world. The church had gone underground. But listen, the church can't be defeated. And that is our destiny, and that is our mission. So what does it mean for us? And this is on your outline. Listen, if we want to live the way Jesus lived, if we want to really live in this world, we need to live in, the direction in, through community with other believers. Now, when Jesus was training his disciples, he knew that at some point he was going back home and that somebody had to keep the mission going forward. So he was teaching them and training them the whole time. And here's an interesting passage. It says this later, the Lord chose how many other followers? What does it say? 72. It's not just the 12 now. It's expanded. 72 other followers sent them out two by two to every town and village where he was about to go. This is the advanced team. He said to them, a large crop is in the field, but there are only a few workers. Ask the Lord in charge of the harvest to send out workers to bring it in. He's saying, look, we've got a big job ahead of us. There are people who need to know about me, and I'm asking you to go and tell them. This mission is really, really important. How many of you have ever been in a classroom where you weren't paying attention? Yeah, we all have, right? The teacher's up there talking, right? And you're, you know, just daydreaming and thinking about something else. And the reason, quite frankly, because I've done this, we all have, I don't need to know this stuff, right? Maybe <laughs> parents have heard that from their kids. Why do I have to study algebra? I don't need to know this stuff. And here's the thing. If we don't think we're going to need to know what's being communicated, if it doesn't have an intersection with our lives, we just don't pay much attention to it. And then I was thinking about this. Um, before God called me to be a pastor, um, I was a paramedic and a firefighter. And I remember the, the training that we did, and we had this um, classroom time. And it took place at the University of Miami with some of the medical students. And doctors would come in and they trained us about, you know, starting IVs or defibrillating, you know, hearts that had stopped or, you know, treating gunshot wounds. But here's the thing. We knew that at the conclusion of that classroom time, we were going to get on a rescue truck and answer 911 calls. And so everybody was totally engaged. It's like, well, show me how to do that again. Because you knew that you were going to have to take that skill and that knowledge and actually use it to save somebody's life. Now, what does that have to do with the church? My answer is everything. Imagine this. Um, I'm up here on a Sunday morning, and I say, hey, hey, church, um, we're going to have a new class on Saturday afternoon, and I'm going to work with a group of people to tell you how to share your faith in Jesus with your neighbors and your friends and your coworkers. And so you come to this class, and we're, you know, we're kind of going through the material, and you're, you know, a little engaged because it's kind of interesting. But the truth is you really don't have any intention of taking this material and really using it. Because over the course of your life, you've never really talked to anybody about Jesus. But it's good to know. But imagine this. Imagine you're sitting in the class, and what you're thinking is this. Man, God wants me to do this. This is really important. I believe God's going to give me an opportunity. And who knows, maybe when the class is over, I'm going to get a chance to tell somebody about Jesus. You're totally engaged. You're saying, Pastor Dilly, would you go over that again? I want to make sure I know how to do this. I know how to say this, because I'm actually planning on doing it. See, church, there's such a difference, isn't there? And the reality is that God has called his people on a mission together, and we're better together. You know that, right? We worship better together. We reach out better together. We serve better together. And here's, here's something to think about. The church is called the body of... Okay, why is that? Well, 
because the parts of your body need each other. If they're not connected, your body doesn't work. We need to be connected to each other to carry out the mission. And, and I said it before, and I think this is so incredibly important. You cannot accomplish God's purpose for your life by yourself. You need to be connected in community with other believers to carry out the mission. Now, that brings us to the third direction in which God wants us to live. What was the first direction? Up? And let's do this. Um, I like teaching kids, and I like using hand motions. So are you game for this? All right, okay, here we go. We live up, we live in, and we live out. And that's the third thing. We live out. Look at this verse. Again, about how Jesus lived. He lived out. It says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. Now check this out. When he saw the crowds, all these people that are coming to hear him, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Friends, that gives us a glimpse into the heart of God, how he looks at people, how he looks at us. And when you think about it, everybody's a sheep. There are different kinds of sheep. You know what kind of sheep I am? I'm a found sheep. And I'm so happy that I'm a found sheep. I know that many of you are found sheeps, sheeps because, because the shepherd has found you. But not everybody is a found sheep. Some people are wandering sheep or, you know, ornery sheep or, you know, wayward sheep or lost sheep, whatever. But here's the thing. When you're a found sheep, the shepherd wants you to tell all the other sheep about him. And what does that take? It takes a heart of compassion. So what does that mean? This is on your outline. We need to live out through compassion for others locally and globally. Locally and globally, in our backyard and around the world. There was a little boy, four-year-old boy, who was riding in the car with his dad, and they were going to McDonald's to just hang out for a little while, and they ran into this traffic accident, and the little boy's in the car seat in the back and says, Daddy, we should pray for those people. And of course, the daddy's really proud. My son has such compassion for people. And so he says, well, son, I can't close my eyes because I'm driving. Why don't you pray? He says, okay, Daddy. So he says, dear God, I pray for the people in the accident. Please don't let them block the entrance to McDonald's. <laughs> God wants us to have unselfish compassion. And I will say this. There are people in this church family that have unbelievable compassion. Some of the most compassionate people I've ever known are here at BBCC. And that just encourages me. I know that it brings joy to the heart of God. And here's the thing. That compassion has to be our motivation for living out. Being concerned about other people. Now, when Jesus gets ready to go back home to heaven, he's getting ready to hand off his mission to his disciples, and this is what he says. Um, but you, disciples, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Previously lost sheep telling currently lost sheep about the shepherd? Where? Where's this going to happen, Jesus? Well, in Jerusalem, your backyard, and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Now, I want you to watch this brief video about what it means to be on mission. I guess it started one morning. I was sitting in church, uh, just a regular Sunday morning, and... Um, the pastor was talking about missions and long-term and commitment and all of these kinds of things. And 
I guess normally that would that would impact me a little bit, but this time it was it was different somehow. It was like God was pounding on my chest, and I just got this huge smile on my face. And I was ready. I just started looking at my life and asking myself what would it look like for me to be on mission all the time and devote my life to that and become a missionary, I guess. I remember growing up in church that missionaries would come visit. I was just always captivated by their stories and I knew that there was a, a world that was so much bigger than my backyard and that there were people in that world who needed to hear about Jesus. And I just, I've always wanted to get out there and have the ability to, to tell people about Jesus and see that transform lives. I just kept hearing the same words, planting seeds, nurture, water, tend, person by person, life by life. Don't wait, you're ready, just go. felt like I was kind of waiting around, like, is this something that God would call me into? And, and when would that happen? Where would I go? What would it look like? And then all of a sudden, it was like this lightning bolt, like, there it is. There it is. It's, I mean, it seemed almost obvious. My name is Bradley Martin, and I am answering God's call to go, and I am a missionary. Think about, yeah, you can applaud. We always want to give God credit for everything that happens. And, and I want you to think about the words that you just heard. The guy in the video says, my name is Bradley Martin. I'm answering God's call to go, and I am a what? Did you hear what he said? I am a... Say it really loud. I am a missionary. Now, what do you think of when you hear the word missionary? You know, when I was a kid, um, I got um, drugged to church a lot. And I can remember um, in church, um, periodically, we would have visits from missionaries. And these are people that live in, you know, faraway places. They would come from Africa and India, and they would have these cool stories and cool pictures and tell us, you know, they had to learn a language so they could talk to people about Jesus. And I thought to myself, wow, that's pretty cool. But there's not very many missionaries. How's Jesus going to accomplish his mission? And then when I became a follower of Jesus, I had this realization that every single follower of Christ is a what? Is a missionary. Do you really see yourself that way? Do you wake up in the morning, look in the mirror, and go, I am a missionary because I'm on a mission? If you're a Christian, that's exactly your identity. That is true of you, and it starts in your backyard. Every Friday, I send out this email um, to a group of people that are prayer partners. It's called the Pastor's Prayer Partner Email. And I give um, prayer requests 
in three categories, our church, our community, and our world. And this is what I wrote this Friday. I sent out the, the prayer request, and this is what I, I wrote. I encourage you to think of one person where you live, work, or play that you can pray for on a consistent basis. Pray that God will help you get to know this person and develop a relationship with them. Pray that this person will be willing to share their story with you and give you the opportunity to share your story with them. Pray that you will be able to share God's story with this person and that this person will choose to begin a life-changing relationship with Jesus. What would happen if we really did that? If you're a believer this morning, what if you just prayed consistently for one person in your life and you were intentional about trying to build a bridge, a relational bridge, so that you could get to know them, so you could hear their story, so that you could share your story, so that you could point them to the shepherd who really, really loves lost sheep. It would change everything, wouldn't it? And here's the thing. I, I remember when I really began to do that, and, and it just gave me a sense that, man, this is what I was made to do. I felt really alive because it was a risk, and it was an adventure. And church family, I'm so thankful because I see people here in our church family taking the risk and joining the adventure and doing exactly that. So listen, keep doing that. If you're on the sidelines, hey, get in the game. Because there's three directions that God wants us to live. What are they? Up, in, and out. And I want you to think about that. And, and listen, I know it's hard on a Sunday morning um, to, to do something really quickly. But would you think about that today and throughout the week? There's a devotional guide on the back of your outline that you can work through. But think about how you're doing in terms of that upward connection with God. How could you strengthen that? How could you strengthen your prayer life? so that you're more connected with God. And what about this, your connection with people in your church family? If you're a part of our church family, are there ways that you could really kind of step in through volunteering? You know, we were always talking about sign-ups. We need volunteers for, you know, youth ministry and kids ministry and adult ministries. Are there some ways that you could do that? And then when it comes to reaching out, is there somebody in your life right now that you can pray for consistently so that you can help them understand how much the shepherd loves them. And let me close with, with this thought. How many of you have ever been to a, um, a driving range and hit a bucket of golf balls? Raise your hands high. Okay, quite a number. And, and you know how this goes. What do you need to, to hit golf balls? This is not hard. You need a golf club, right? Well, I just so happen to have a golf club right here. It's actually a seven iron. And what else do you need? You need golf balls. And you know how it goes, right? You get this bucket of balls, and um, before you hit the bucket of balls, if you're in the, like, you know, third or fourth quarter, you stretch out a little bit so you don't hurt yourself, right? Right, and then you, and you get that bucket of balls, and what do you do? You just start smacking them one after another, right? Boom, boom, boom. And then eventually, at some point, you realize, hey, hey, I only have a few golf balls left. And it changes your perspective entirely, doesn't it? Because you think, man, i got to make every shot count, right? You want to hit them long. You want to hit them straight. So what do you do? Man, you just take your time, and you are so deliberate about hitting that ball, right? And you take the next shot, and you just take your time. I'm trying not to put a divot in the carpet. And let me see if I can hit this one a little further. There we go. Okay. And here's why... I point this out. 
This is a picture of how God wants us to live. You don't know, I don't know how many days God has given us. Isn't that true? But we do know this, God wants us to make every day count. So how do you do that? By learning how to really live. Who do you learn it from? You learn it from Jesus. Because how did Jesus live, church? He lived up, he lived in, and he lived out. And that's what we need to do as well. Because I will tell you this, the words of William Wallace are absolutely true. Everyone dies. Not everyone really lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you that Jesus came to this world to teach us how to really live. And God, today I'm just so thankful that there is one who is the way and the truth and the life. And Lord, this morning I pray for the one who maybe for the first time is realizing, man, I want more in my life. I want more to my life. I want to live in this world. And Lord, I pray for the person who's realizing that the only way to do that is by following Jesus. And listen, if that's where you are this morning, if you want to make that choice to to step into a new life, the life that God created you to live, you can just say this in your own words, in your own way to God. You don't have to say anything out loud. But you can just say, God, hey, I need you. I realize you're my father and you love me and you sent Jesus to to not just die for me but show me how to live. And so, God, um, I want to give my life to Jesus. I believe that he's who he claimed to be, the son of God who died and rose from the dead. And I just want to follow him wherever he leads me. And God, I know, because I said that to you a number of years ago, and you ran to, to meet me and pick me up and rescue me. You always do that. And I know you'll do it again and again. And Lord, for those of us who are found sheep this morning, would you please help us live like Jesus lived? God, to really have a strong connection with you and a strong connection with each other and to care about the people that you've placed in our lives. And Lord, we know the only way to do that is to build our lives on the foundation of the love that Jesus has for us. And so as we sing this last song, God, I pray that this would be a a time for us to celebrate the fact that you love us like nobody else. And Lord, I pray for Boynt Beach Community Church. I, I pray that we would become a strong church, God, an influential church that will make a difference here in this community and around the world because we love you and we love people. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, would you stand with me and now sing our last song?